My name is Pastor Harris, and I am the lead pastor here at First Open Bible. It's my honor today to bring God's Word again to you this morning. And uh, didn't the kids, men, just do a great job this morning? It's not easy. I was praying with the elders this morning, and uh, I was reminded that it's not easy uh, getting up and being in front of your peers, let alone your peers' parents and grandparents, right? And... Uh, it's intense. You know, there's hundreds of people in this room, and, and so that's, um, that's a big deal. They did a great job, that, and there's a lot of lines to be fed, and it was hilarious. I love, when, I love when kids, like, literally do everything that we want to do, but we're too polished, maybe, or whatever, to do it, right? I'm like, come on, man. Don't you know your line? We've been practicing this, right? And it's like, oh, I forgot it. I loved it. Man, Joseph, so... Joseph's real, man. We, we got to be like Joseph this morning. We got to be real people, right? With real struggles, but always leaning on God. Amen. They did awesome, Mary and all the angels, the solos and the duets and, and all the reading and all the memorization and our leaders that helped do all that. Man, that's not easy. They did a great job. So let's give them a hand one more time. Amen, amen. So we're going to continue this morning our Christmas series titled, Behold, a Savior is Born. This Advent, we're focusing on Jesus from the manger to the cross. We've been talking about an anticipation of the birth of Jesus and the fulfillment of Scripture, not only about his birth, but also about his life, his death, and his resurrection. All month long, we're going to focus on all the reasons why we celebrate, not just on Christmas Day, but all the reasons why we celebrate all year long. Jesus' birth and his sacrifice on a cross is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Amen? Amen. Amen. Traditionally, the four weeks preceding Christmas in the Christian church is known as a season of Advent, in case you don't know what that word means. This is what it means. Advent means this. It's a time of waiting, expecting, and anticipating the arrival of Jesus. So technically, are we still in the season of Advent? You know he's coming back. He's not coming back a baby, though. Be ready for the King of Kings. See, God's people, they waited for a Savior who would come to rescue and restore a broken creation. They held on to hope because God one day would stay true to his promise. Christmas time is the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophetic predictions about the coming Messiah who would change the world. Today, we're continuing our series, Behold, a Savior is Born. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on... The servant love of Jesus. It's not easy to be a servant, is it? So, anybody real in here today? Is it easy to serve people? What about people who are grumpy? What about your neighbor this morning? Is it easy to serve them? Don't you look at them. It's not easy to serve. But it's right. See, this Advent, we're focusing on Jesus and the way that he came into the world and the way that he lived and finally the way that he died. Jesus was a humble servant through it all. He came into the world in the humblest and the most unexpected way. Church, the creator of the universe, he loves you. He loves you. And he loves me. So much that he lowered himself to become human. There's great significance in the fact that God would take on human form as a vulnerable baby and it emphasizes his sacrificial servant love. We can learn so much from Jesus' life about love. The manner in which he was born, he was raised, he lived, he responded, he thought, he ministered, and in the manner in how he died. Church, who in this crowd likes surprises? Raise your hand. 
I like surprises. Come on now, put your hand there like you'd like surprises. Non-committal people. I think I like surprises. Surprise, you're preaching. I'm just playing. It's not going to be like that. I, who in this room likes surprises? Amen. Some people. That's honest. See, some of us enjoy when unexpected things happen to us. Some love adventure. They love living on the edge. And like it when life happens to them unexpectedly. Some people love to receive gifts at Christmas that are completely unexpected. Now, how many in here of us in this room today are planners? There's more planners. Okay. Wow, interesting. Man, I, I would have thought that was flip-flopped. That's, I like that. See, some try to take life by the horns, and they tell life where it should go and where it shouldn't go. They like to live off calendars, right? Ooh, schedules and planners and pre-planned events. Oh, man, you're speaking to me, pastor. Now you're preaching. Ooh, bullet points, PowerPoints. Oh, anybody got a PowerPoint of their life? Okay, we're going to cast that out of you. That's messed up. Leave room for the Holy Ghost. Come on now. See, some of us are planners. And during Christmas, these types of people love to share what they hope for when it comes to gifts. Anybody get a list and say, hey, it would behoove you to stay with that list. <laughs> behoove, that's a good word. They like to know what is coming, and they like to know what to expect. Some expected things, they can be nice. Then other unexpected things can be life-altering. We begin today in the Gospel of Luke. So if you go ahead and up, open up your Bible, so Luke chapter 2, the Bible uh, is in two sections. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament, New Testament is when Jesus came, it's the story of Jesus, and then everything after Jesus came. He did his ministry on earth for 33 years, then he died on a cross, then he appeared to people for many, many days, and he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again. So New Testament is where you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. It's about three-fourths the way through your Bible, and these are called the Gospels, and the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus. Eyewitness accounts of what has happened and what happened and things that were said. And, and I love Luke chapter 2 for the Christmas story. And that's where we're going to be reading some of our scripture this morning. So we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke where one single event dramatically altered reality as Jesus' birth took place. As perfect love, servant love came down to earth. I'm going to read out of the NLT version. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. So the big number is the chapter. The little uh, numbers are verses. So we're going to read little numbers 1 through 7. It says this. At the time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, we heard some of this this morning, decreed a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, let's stop there for a second. The Roman Empire owned most of the civilized world. They conquered most of the civilized world at this time, including this area where Jesus was born. Verse 2, this is the first census taken when Caririus was governor of Syria. All returned to their home ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Isn't that cool? He traveled there from a village of Nazareth, in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. All right, let's stop there. Now, before we get into the part in this story of when, where, and how Jesus was born, I want us to start with the woman God chose 
to bring Jesus into this world. God did not choose a queen. God did not choose the daughter of a rich man. He did not choose someone's famous or someone who was well known. No, God chose a young girl from a small town. Small town girl living in a low world. Riding the donkey, midnight donkey. From Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's my falsetto, that's it. I felt that in my office much better than I felt it right now. I mean, when I said from same, you didn't even hear it in the office. Come on now. We sing so good in the shower, don't we? That was my falsetto, by the way. It was bad, but that's all I got. I told you, when I get to heaven, I'm in the back of the choir. Unless they have like a dance group, then I'm, then I'm up toward the front. Be like, hey, you guys just get it. I got this. Hey, here he comes, the king of kings. Let's go. Right? See, God chose a young girl from a small town. God did not choose flashy. God chose humble. Becoming pregnant with the Savior of the world was a very unexpected thing to happen to Mary. It was especially surprising being that she was a virgin who was committed to marrying a man named Joseph. Now, I want you to keep in mind something, church. When we read the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, we need to remember that we're discussing things that happened 2,000 years ago. And this happened in ancient Middle East. So Joseph and Mary and her unborn baby, they must leave their home and they have to travel 65 miles to the required city for the census count. This was mandatory in the entire Roman world. Today, we can simply just mail in our census or fill it out online, right? But during this time in history, you were required to show your face. You were required to be there in person. No matter where you were living, you had to go back to that location where your ancestors were from. During these days, there was also no ultrasounds. And there were no due dates either. We can assume that Mary did not plan to have her baby anywhere other than her home and certainly not in a dusty stable in a city of Bethlehem. But God, he had a different plan. Anybody ever felt that in their life before? But God, he had a different plan. Trust me, I I never expected myself to be in Iowa preaching the gospel. Right? I'm not from here, but, but God. Imagine being far from home, traveling mostly by foot for up to like 65 miles. That's from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Being extremely pregnant and having that, you know, that pregnant woman waddle, right? 65 miles of that, right? And not having a place to stay when things were starting to go down. This city was filled with all kinds of travelers that had to come to report in person their census as well. And there was literally no room to stay. There was nowhere to go, not even in this particular inn. There was no vacancy for a young family to occupy. Now, it's hard to imagine, but there was physically no space for them in this inn. Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus They were out of options. So Joseph and Mary were given a barn. And that, in those days, sometimes they're kind of like caves to stay in. And for baby Jesus, they had a manger. And what is a manger? It's essentially a nicer word for a structure that holds animals' food. So Mary gives birth to Jesus, and Scripture says, quote, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there's no lodging available for them. We witness the most unexpected arrival of the Savior of the world, and God planned this. 
Jesus was not born to a wealthy parents in a palace like many kings before him. Jesus came into the world in a lowly and humble way. And church, this was all intentional. But why? Isn't that the question we usually ask God? Why, God? Why did this happen? See, God connects with humanity in a very vulnerable way by being born the way he was, by being born where he was, when he was, and how he was. Church, Jesus immediately identifies with the marginalized and the ordinary of this world. Jesus immediately identifies with you and with me. During this Christmas season, we're reminded that God's love, his hope, and his joy is not reserved just for the elite. Are you hearing me, church? God's love, hope, and joy is accessible to all people. Do you remember last week when the outcasts, the dirty, the smelly, the stinky, right? Some of y'all get that because you're here last week. The shepherds. What was the good news that they got? Luke 2.10 tells us, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? To all people. Church, Jesus arrived in an unexpected way and this altered humanity forever. I want you to think about this story for a moment. Okay, let me read you a story. Imagine this. A world-renowned artist known for creating magnificent masterpieces that hung on walls of prestigious museums and galleries worldwide. His works were celebrated for their grandeur and their complexity, capturing the attention and the admiration of all who viewed them. Yet one day, this artist decided to embark on a different kind of project. Instead of creating another majestic painting that would demand the attention of all people who saw it, he chose to create a humble and unassuming piece of art. He wanted to challenge himself to portray the depth of human emotion and experience through simplicity. As he worked on this project, the artist made a surprising decision. He decided to leave the comfort of his studio and immerse himself in the life of the common people. He lived in their neighborhoods, he shared in their daily struggles, and embarked on their joys and their sorrows. He wanted to fully understand the essence of their humanity, to see the world through their eyes. After months of living among them, the artist returned to his studio with a newfound perspective. He carefully put his experiences onto canvas, creating a piece of art that would be like unlike anything he has ever done before. It was simple, unadorned depiction of everyday life. It was a mother's love, a child's laughter, a worker's toil, and a friend's embrace. When the artist unveiled this unexpected creation, the world was astounded. Critics and admirers alike were moved by the depths of emotion of this piece. It touched their hearts in a way that none of his grand masterpieces have ever done before. Now the artist explained, he says this, in this simple painting, I aim to capture the very essence of humanity, the beauty of everyday life, the emotions that connect us all, and the significance of the ordinary moments we all overlook. Church, in a profound way, this artist's journey mirrors the journey of Jesus. Just as the artist chose to step into the lives of the everyday people to understand their humanity, Jesus, the creator of all things, 
chose to step down into our world through the incarnation as a humble human being. He left the splendor of heaven to fully experience the joys, the struggles, and the sorrows that we go through. Through his humanity, Jesus created a masterpiece of redemption. In the New Testament, there's this book called Philippians, and Paul, he writes in chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Verse 7 says this, instead. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place, the highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Through his humanity, Jesus created a masterpiece of redemption. The birth of Jesus that's found in the first two chapters of Luke is only the beginning of what this Savior came to do. It becomes clear later in the Gospels that Jesus was born into our world in a very humble way so that way one day he might humbly die on a cross for our sins. The arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion would have been horrific. The pain he went through would would have been terrible. However, the Bible says that even in the middle of of this great and humble sacrifice, Jesus still had joy. Why? How? Because Jesus knew why he came. And Jesus knew what was on the other side. Why would the God of the universe humble himself in such a way? What was on the other side of this suffering and this humiliation? You and me. Because of his humble sacrifice, you and I would be given the opportunity to receive his perfect gift of grace and the freedom from our sin. Church, you're either liking this or you're hating it because you're all quiet. This is the quietest I've heard you in months. <laughs> Amen. The reason Jesus humbled himself, even in the darkest time of his human life, was because he anticipated the resurrection. Church, Jesus anticipated our salvation. They say no pain, no gain, right? No cross, no you and me. Through his humble servant love, Jesus created a masterpiece of redemption. The creator of the universe stepped down from heaven and he entered our world as a vulnerable baby laying in a manger. He did not choose a regal entrance born in the splendor of a palace, but rather his first cries filled the air in the humblest of settings, in a stable. He experienced the limitations and the fragility of humanity from the moment he was born until his death. From the manger to the cross. Now Jesus felt the warmth of his mother's love and the comfort of his father's protection. He experienced hunger, thirst, 
and fatigue and the full spectrum of human emotions. He was not just partly human, he was completely human. And pain was not omitted from his experience here on earth. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And criminals in that day deserved the most pain possible. Church, this is where the humanity of Jesus demonstrates his sacrificial love. It was through his humanity that he accomplished the most profound act of love and redemption. Jesus died on a cross for our behalf. By taking on our human nature, Jesus bridged the gap between humanity and divinity, reconciling us to God and bringing us near to him once again. Jesus' death and his birth were full of humility and vulnerability. Neither one of these experiences were mighty or grand. See, this parallel teaches us that Jesus' mission was not one of earthly glory and power. But instead, his mission was one of sacrificial love and redemption. Oftentimes we seek the power of this world and power will be fleeting because it will fall away. But Christ's redemption will never fall away. The gift of Jesus you can never lose unless you give it back, right? So Jesus didn't come as a conqueror of this world. He came to, as a conqueror of all things. It wasn't just to conquer 2,000 years ago this Roman oppressor or the people that rise up against us, right? I'm going to go after the man, right? The man can't hold me down. No, Jesus conquered it all. His his sacrifice and his servant love will go on forever, not just for a moment. If you love these things of the world now for a moment, they will leave you in a moment's time as well. But Jesus, it says in his word, will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And his love and his redemption will never let you down. The only way that you cannot be saved is if you deny the gift of God. Accept the gift of Christ. Why? Because church, Jesus was born to die. This story is when the hero dies for the villain. Christ came to earth to offer himself as the perfect lamb of God. If you don't understand what that means, in the Old Testament, the only way to to cleanse yourself from your sins and the things that you've done, you've said, or you've even thought, was you had to have a perfect animal. You had to go to the temple and you had to lay your hands on the animal as if there was a transfer of your sins into the animal and then you had to sacrifice the animal and that's the way that God would forgive. There had to be a blood sacrifice so you could be cleansed again of all your unrighteousness, all your sin, all the the shame, the guilt, and the dumb things that we've said and the dumb things that we've done and the horrible things that we've thought. And one of the main things that you could bring to the temple was a lamb. The Bible teaches us that he was the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. See, Christ came to earth to offer himself as the perfect lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. John 1, 29, this is his second cousin, John the Baptist, who is proclaiming and preparing the way for Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, when he sees Jesus, he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew who he was. And he wasn't afraid to tell the world. He actually was preparing the world. You know, that's your job too, by the way. 
Just as the birth of Jesus was a gift to the world, right? This is a gift to the world. By the way, you're doing really good. You haven't cried once. <laughs> Smell something, though. It might need to be changed. See, Jesus, as the, the, the birth of Jesus is, is the perfect gift to the world, and his death was the ultimate gift of redemption. Jesus was a servant born in the humblest of ways. He was the king of kings and he chose to come to earth to live the perfect life. So that way we, his people, could be close to the father. Our sin separates us from God. What's sin? It's anything that goes against God. It's his ways. If you want to know his ways, it's in his word. Right? Without the death and without the resurrection. See, there's a lot of people that follow a lot of different uh, religions and, and different people, but Jesus is the only one that's alive. They all died and they're done. They're done. They're done. They're... We, Christians, we serve the resurrected king, the soon and coming king. He's not a memory. He lives now. See, without his death and without his resurrection, we'd still be dead in our sin. And we'd have no hope of eternal, eternal glory with God. We'd have no hope. Now, I recently read this beautiful quote. It says this. Christ was content with a stable when he was born, so that way we could have a mansion when we die. That's good. From the unexpected arrival in a humble manger to the ultimate sacrifice on a cross, Jesus' journey on earth illustrates perfect servant love. Many of you know this scripture, Matthew 20, 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, we have a Savior who intimately understands our struggles. He understands our temptations. He knows what it's like to face adversity, rejection, pain, and suffering. Honestly, he knows a lot more about it than we even do, especially as Americans. Why? We can relate to Jesus. He can intimately understand us because he lived all of this himself. Even though he never sinned and lived a perfect life, he was not without temptation, trials, or frustration. Jesus became human to relate to us. What does this mean? This means we can approach Jesus with confidence. The Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne room of God. Knowing that we have a compassionate an empathetic Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses. In our moments of doubt, in our moments of pain, in our moments of despair, we can turn to Christ, knowing that He not only hears our prayers, church, He also understands the depths of our hearts. He knows our struggles, He knows our pain, He knows our hurt, He knows what we've been through. Someone was mean to me on social media. Oh, please, man. They put a crown of thorns on him and smashed it on his head. And they mocked him to the end of his death. But God, you don't know all the things I've walked through. You're right. I don't know all the things, but I've lived all those things. And I've seen all those things. And I know you're hard in all those things. And I've never left you in those things. Just because you lived 2,000 years later... Don't mean he don't understand. I would beg to say this. He's the only one that understands. Jesus came 
be a human to relate to us. I want to ask you a couple questions. When's the last time you loved someone else the way Jesus loves you? Is their servant love evident in your life? Are there people in your sphere of influence that you humble yourself for? By the way, pride comes before a fall. If it's all about you, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be lonely. Pride is the worst thing that you can have because everything stems from that. Are there people in your sphere of influence that you humble yourself for and show them the love of Jesus? Church, this life is not about power, pride, or prestige. It's about loving God and serving others with a God kind of love, a servant love. So as we reflect on the humanity of Jesus, let's remember that our Savior, like the humble artist I read about, stepped into our world to fully understand and embrace our humanity. Jesus did so out of a profound love, a love we could not fully understand with our feeble human minds, right? We would have picked a different way for him to conquer. And that's why he didn't do it because his lasts forever and we always choose the moment. God chooses eternity. Somebody in here today, you're, you're deciding something in your life. There's a decision that you're making. And I want to encourage you this morning. God has a word for you. Do not choose the moment. Do not choose what satisfies you now. Look ahead that will last for a long time. Choose the decision that will be right because it will be years long in the right decision, not a moment's time. Okay? Somebody in here is making a decision. You need to hear that. You have two things in front of you. Don't choose the decision that will satisfy you now. Choose the decision that will satisfy you later. Amen? Jesus stepped into our world to fully understand and embrace our humanity. And he did this with a profound love, creating an unexpected masterpiece of redemption that is now available to everybody, everyone. Jesus came, Jesus humbly came to us so he could relate with us so ultimately he could save us. Brent, will you come? Jesus' birth and his sacrifice on a cross. Church, it's the greatest gift ever given. I want to ask you a couple questions. But have you accepted the gift of eternal hope for your salvation? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus in your life? I want us to take a moment here and reflect. Now, I love the fact that, that Jesus can relate to me, right? He's not some far off God, you know, doing the levers and pulling the strings. He's a God in the heavens who's intimately involved in our life. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit the presence of the living God hovering above the waters, coming in and through our lives, living inside of us if you're a Christian. I love the fact that his presence is here even now. And until he moves his presence from this world and all kinds of terrible things happen to this world before he comes to redeem the entire world, The Holy Spirit is even speaking to us now at this moment and he's speaking to your hearts. Some of you don't even know what that means. I remember it was early in high school 
I grew up in church. I hated church. The people at church were actually really mean. They hurt me. Um, pretty much put a label on my life, and they made me feel like an outcast. And plus, I didn't really take church seriously, neither did my family at the time. We kind of went to church, and we were not the church. We barely even read the, read the Bible, and we prayed before our meals, and we thought we were good people. And we didn't quite understand the gospel of Jesus Christ until it was early in my life in about ninth grade and and I remember we had to leave that church and here's the thoughts that I have and maybe this is for somebody in here today these people at church they treated me terrible they were hurtful and and you know we have church hurt right we hear about church hurt you know why church hurt more than hurts more than work hurt because people at work ain't any better you act like they are but they're not the reason why is because you've opened up your heart at church and you've been vulnerable and it hurts deeper People at work, you just talk about little small things. Listen, I, I've lived in this. I've worked in the secular for many, many years before. But, but church hurt is a real thing because you've opened up your heart and, and you expect them to be different. People at work, they're just a hot mess and you just expect them to be a hot mess. But people at church, you have these expectations. But these people are searching for God too. God's still moving in and through their life. And so what I came to a conclusion was if church people treated me bad and they didn't like me or at least made me feel that way, then that must be what God thinks. It, it, was, it was very um, immature of me, but I didn't know it at the time. And I felt like when I was early in ninth grade and, and I went to this new church and they actually preached the gospel where I heard the loving grace of Jesus for the first time that he loves me the way I am and he doesn't want to leave me here. I can't even believe that. What do you mean? I thought I had to clean up to get to church. and You don't have to clean up to get into the shower. But I had this weird thought because of all these things that, and that these people are mean to me and I must be an outcast. I must be, be guilty of all these things and there's some problem with me. And God loved me so much and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. But there was this time that, that the preacher got up and he preached a simple message of grace and love and mercy and, and said that God came to this earth to live like us and to die for us so we could be with him. And I said, what? And he loves you the way you are right now. He loves me how I am now, but what about all those things I think of me and all the other things that people think of me? It doesn't matter. You are thinking of people the way that you should think about me. He says that I love you. They are not complete. They are broken, but I am whole. And I love you where you are right now. And I love you enough, I don't want to leave you there. And I remember in my heart, I thought, what? You love me, God? You love me the way that I am? I'm a loudmouth, crazy boy that doesn't know what to do with all of his energy. And people don't quite understand him, but you love me the way that I am? I can't believe it. And he says, oh yeah, you know how much I loved you? I loved you so much that I thought about you 2,000 years ago and even before I built the foundations of the world, before I spoke light into existence, I knew you would exist and I knew that you'd be here right now at this moment hearing this message and I knew that you, this would be your moment that you're going to give your life to God and you're never going to turn back. And I remember there was this time in church and uh, I think it was in youth ministry at the time and I was in youth group and they said, all right, every head bowed and eyes closed as if we're, unash we're ashamed of what's happening or something. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and do it. And I, and I get it because it's, it's an intimate moment and there's times for that and there's not always times for that. And I remember he said, just slip up your hand if you want to accept Christ. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm a mess inside, but I'm trying to keep it together, right? Got to keep it cool. Got to keep it cool. There's you know, my friends over there. There's cute girls behind me, in front of me. And really, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go there anyway, because a bunch of cute girls at church. And it was awesome. And uh, man, I love the way they worship. And they said, hey, if that's you, and you want to give your heart to Christ, and you want to give your life to him, go ahead and raise your hand. And something inside of me said, you cannot raise your hand. And I stood to my feet, and I just started bawling. God, you love me enough that you give the most precious thing for me. How can I just stay in my seat? 
I stood up and my life has been different ever since. It's never been the same. Now I tell you this not to give myself glory because there ain't no glory in there of me because I was a hot mess and there's a lot of things to work out, right? I don't know how many times I had those CDs and Napstered it up and, and, and made my own CDs and then they were all secular and then I'd break them and then I'd get another one and break it and then give it to the Lord. It was a mess. It took a while. A lot of things in my life took a while but God met me where I was at. And a lot of y'all have stories in here just like that. And some of you are going to have it today. If you're hearing the word today and you feel something inside you, say, I don't know what the Holy Spirit was. You know, the, the uh, Disney, they don't know it, but Jiminy Cricket is like the Holy Ghost in some ways. There's something inside of you that starts speaking to you that doesn't quite match what you're thinking. And you're like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't go that way. You shouldn't go this way. Right now, there's a Holy Spirit inside of you or he's in this room and he's speaking to you and he's saying, finally give it all to me. Here's your moment to change everything. Don't turn back. Look at what I can do in your life. So, if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. And I want to let you know, there's people in the house today that are going to celebrate. They're going to celebrate. The Bible says even one comes to the saving grace of God. All of heaven rejoices. All the angels sing. And you know what? We can join heaven this morning and we will celebrate as well. That's you today and you say, I want to give my life to God. Maybe for the first time, second or third or 15th time. But today... Today's the day I know God wants to change my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and lived on earth. And you came as a baby, but you didn't stay a baby. You, you came to be a man, and, and you taught us what it's like to love God and to follow God. And then you died for me, and that you're coming back again. Thank you for loving me where I'm at right now. I need your saving grace. That's you today. Raise your hand or stand to your feet right now. Right now. Go. Right now. You need to rededicate your life to God or give it your life to him right now. Right now. Just go ahead and stand your feet. Don't, don't, let, don't let intimidation come. Amen. Stand your feet. Hallelujah. I can't miss this moment. I can't miss this moment. Is there anybody in this section that says, I need to give Christ my life? Anybody. Here's your opportunity to stand or lift your hand. Anybody in this section saying, yeah, I need to do it. There's no shame. Shame's of the devil. There's grace and mercy. That is God. Don't you be shamed this morning. If you stand to your feet, I don't care how many times, right? Chris has stood to his feet, I don't know how many times. Okay, you coming to give me a hug? All right, cool. Love you. Right? And God wants to change your life. Don't let the enemy shame you. Is anybody in this section says I need to give God my life? Anybody in this section over here? Okay. I want us to say a prayer together, okay? The Bible says that you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was raised from the dead and you shall be saved. It starts with a prayer, but it doesn't end there. If all you're doing is saying a prayer and then you're living life how you want to, it means absolutely nothing. And I will say this because I believe it. You're not saved. People who are saved follow Jesus. You're a follower of Christ by following Christ. Simple. This right here has lied to a lot of people. Say, say a, say a prayer and do whatever you want. Those people are going to hell. You've got to give your life to Christ. He loves you. There's more for you in this world than what you feel right now and what you're experiencing. He loves you enough. Start with the prayer, then follow him. Amen. All right, if you're standing, repeat after me. Father, come on, say it out loud. Father, it says confess with your mouth. So, Father, 
I give you my life. If you're in your seat too and you guys need to do this as well, do it now. Father, I give you my life. Thank you for loving me just the way I am. Thank you for loving me enough. You won't leave me there. Thank you that you sent your one begotten son to be born, to live, and to die for me. I give you my heart now. I give you my life. I give you my mind. I give you my emotions. I give you all of me at this moment moving forward. And God, when I fail you, let me find your grace again. Help me to walk and follow Jesus. I recognize you are the savior of the world and you were raised from the dead. And because of this, I am too saved. Now make it real with him right now. Just take time with him. If you're wherever you're at, maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe you don't know what to say. And all you got to say is, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Fill my life now. Thank you, Jesus. Church, will you stand to your feet? Uh, Michael, the prayer lead, has some prayer teams that are going to come. If you're on the prayer team that Michael has uh, uh, asked you to come, we're going to have a few up here. We're going to have two in the back. We're going to lower the lights in just a moment. There are going to be prayer teams in the front here and in the back. Um, and here in a moment, before we worship, we're going to do what heaven just did, okay? Uh, we're going to celebrate. But if you need prayer for anything, or if you just gave your heart back over to Christ or for the first time you got to come see one of them, they're going to give you some information. They're going to write information down and they want to make sure that you walk out today um, uh, knowing what, you, what decision you've made today. Also, if you don't have a church home, feel free to come here. If you have a church home, stay in the church home. Be planted and grow in the Lord. Amen? Right? It's like, oh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you do have to go to church to be a strong Christian. Faith comes by hearing by hearing the word of God. Why? The whole New Testament is about coming together and worshiping God together. Don't ignore the fact that that is a vital part of your life, right? It's like saying that, oh, I'm educated enough and I never go to school. Doesn't make any sense. You've got to go to school to get educated. You've got to be built up to come to church. This is, a, this is a good church. People love you here. They're genuine people. And if they're not, let me know their name and I'll talk to them, okay? It's mcullum at firstopenbible.com. Praise God. If you don't want to say their name, just tell us what it rhymes with. Okay. Anyway. Church, there's a lot of people that gave their heart back to Christ this morning or maybe even for the first time. So here in a moment, let's celebrate what has happened. Praise God in the highest. Devils who would not have that life. That is God's and God's alone. Jesus has redeemed them. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. I rebuke the assignment of the enemy on your life if you've given Jesus your life today. It is broken. The curses are broken. Sin is broken. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to think like that. And you don't have to understand things of this world. God has higher things for you. If you want to know more about it, call the church office this week. Come up and pray with these precious people. They'll tell you more about it. And they're going to be ready not only to, get to, to pray for you, but to give you a word, encourage you, love on you. Anything you're walking through today, please come up. We're going to sing a song before we go. If you'll lower the lights, we just give God glory. Amen. And next week is Christmas Eve. Can't wait to see you. They've got some special things ahead at 10 a.m.